Philippians chapter 2. Before we get started, though, you've got these um, postcards in your seats. And there's enough there for everyone to have at least two. Here's why two. Number one, I don't know how many fridges you have in your house. Uh, Carlene has two. She's a very, very blessed woman. Um, she's holding her hand over her mouth, but uh, I love it because then I can put um, dead things in it. Um, oh, you're a good man. Thank you. He's the deacon of clicker. But we'd like to put one of these on your refrigerator for two reasons. Number one, to remind you, next week we kick off our series, Shaped for Greatness. And Mark Jackson is going to be with us here live on stage throwing some pots. Uh, he's a potter. And he's going to be throwing some pots here on stage. For those of you who know that that's, that's clay and that's things that you put water in, not something that's funky you smoke. Um, so it's nothing illegal. It's all legal. And he's going to be helping me launch a series of lessons, I think, that are going to visually and also, I think, audibly help us understand a little bit clearer. God wants to do something great inside every single one of us, no matter what our beginnings are like. He has some greatness that he would like, he's dreamed for, and would like to see shaped and molded into our lives. So if there's some folks in your life that you know that could benefit from just hearing how, how loved they are, how significant they are, that they actually matter, um, Maybe they're at a place in their life where that's not much of a message that they get. This would be a great series to invite them to. I know many of you are going to be, uh, some of you at least, are going to be headed out for East uh, Spring Break this next week, and that's okay. Uh, we're going to, uh, it's going to be four weeks of series, and I think you're going to, you'll benefit uh, the next following weeks from some of the material, uh, even though you weren't here for this Sunday. But Easter Sunday is going to be incredibly special. And so even if you don't have a chance this week to put this card in someone's hand and say, I'd love to have you come be with us, over the next couple of weeks, be praying for who God might put on your heart to put this card in their hand and say, hey, come, come, come to church with me on Sunday. Love to have you come and be a part of this series. So uh, if you don't have someone that you put this in their hands for, please be praying for those folks that are going to be coming. Put it on your refrigerator. Be in prayer about it. And let's see what God does to help shape some greatness in some people's lives. I don't mind telling you I struggle with selfishness. Yes, sir. Some of you don't have these because we had a little helper pick these up uh, before services. <laughs> You're wondering, where's my two? I have a fridge. Would love to have one. They'll be out there in the Visitor's Welcome Center on your way out, all right? We'll try to remember to hold these up or do something with them. So I'm sorry that some of you uh, didn't get those. But uh, we love the help, though. Clickers, picker-uppers, it's a good thing. What was I talking about? Selfishness. I struggle with it. And so it gets my attention whenever I read about unselfish people and unselfish acts. This week I read about a barber who was feeling particularly grateful and wanted to do something special for his customers. He was grateful for the incredible life that he had, grateful for the incredible business that he was blessed to be able to operate. And so the very next day, his first customer to come into the shop was the owner of the bakery. And so the barber decided right there and there, this is a great guy to pour out some kindness on. And so he decided right then and there to give the baker a free haircut, which the baker took and was very, very grateful for. As a matter of fact, it had been a long time since someone had done something special for him. The next morning when the barber came to work, he found a dozen freshly baked donuts 
sitting on his front doorstep. And a note of thanks from the baker. Well, this just fired up the barber even more. Made him even more grateful that, that he had this business and that, that his, his gratefulness had been returned. And so he decided not only would he give a free haircut that day to the first customer, he'd give a free donut. And so the first customer to come in was the florist. And sure enough, he gave him a free haircut, gave him a free donut. Same response. It's been a long time since anyone had done anything that significant and that special for the florist. And so the next morning, when the barber came to the shop, he found a dozen fresh roses on his doorstep. Well, this is just incredible. I mean, Jesus had said it's more blessed to give than to receive. He was seeing it lived out right before his very eyes. And so he decided one more time, the first customer that walks in today, I'm going to give a free haircut to and a fresh rose. And so sure enough, his, his preacher came in. He sits down, gives him a free haircut, says, here, take this home to your wife. And the preacher was stunned. It's been a long time since anyone had taken the time to do something special for him like that. Went home and gave his wife the rose, and Barbara closed up the shop that night. And he was wondering, wow, people have returned my graciousness so, so quickly. He wondered what was going to be sitting on the doorstep the next morning. To his surprise, when he walked up, there were 12 preachers sitting on the doorstep. <laughs> I thought that was cute, not falling the aisle funny, all right? The truth is, there's always going to be those who take advantage of the generosity of others. I don't want to be numbered among them. As a person, yes, but especially as a minister... Of Jesus Christ. I'm so grateful that Donnie took a little extra time to, to remind us of the friend that Christ has been to us. And all that he did for us in the laying down of his life. I needed to be reminded. Of how blessed I am. How grateful I am for what Christ has done for me. I need these times like this. That's, what, that's why God gave us church. Because we soon forget how much God has done to say, I love you so much. Let's read the text this morning and pray. Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from His love, if any common sharing in the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded and having the same love. Being one in spirit, one in mind. Don't do anything out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. But rather in humility, value others above yourself. Not looking to your own interests, but to each of you, to the interests of others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. God, you know how difficult that is for us. It's just tough. We seem to wake up in the morning thinking about self. We move through the day and the number one agenda of our life seems to be self. In spite of all your son has done at the cross, 
in spite of your spirit that lives within us, in spite of Bible studies, in spite of songs, in spite of Lord's suppers. But Father, I, I thank you that you come through all of those things. And you slip through, sometimes for an hour, sometimes for a day, sometimes for a pretty extended period of time. And you help us remember it's not about us. It's about you. It's about others. We know we're not the only ones trying to be like you. We know we're not the only ones trying to be disciples of Christ in our community. We pray this morning for Friendship Bible Church. Father, as they preach the word, as they pray, as they lift up songs, we pray together as one body of Christ in this community that we truly will be like Christ. Blessed, yes, but we want to be a blessing. We want to be grateful, great givers of that love, not just receivers. And so we ask you to help us in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. You don't really know what something or someone's made of, I think, until it's put under pressure. Not a lot of guys who can stand on a practice tee of a golf course and hit a golf ball like a Masters champion. But let it be Sunday afternoon at the Masters. You're three back with five to play. The world is watching by television. I'm telling you, that's a different golf ball. A lot of folks can look good in batting practice. I mean, take one ball after the other and just drive it over the fence, hitting them consistently, one home run after the other. But let it be the bottom of the ninth of the World Series, Game 7. Bases loaded, two out. Here comes the pitch. That's a different baseball. There's many a soldier who can shine on a gun range putting bullets inside a one-inch group at 100 yards in boot camp. But when that helicopter lands and the lead is flying and the mortar shells are exploding all around him to shoot accurately at an enemy that's shooting at you, that's a different bullet. I think you learn a great deal about someone when they're put under pressure. You may not see that person at their best, but more often than not, you will see who they are. And that's what makes the gospel account of the Lord's last hours on this earth so important. And while we keep coming back to them, they're incredibly significant because they let us see Jesus and what it was really all about, what he's really made of. It is one thing to preach sermons like he did. Love your neighbor as yourself in temple courts. Greater love hath no man than that he lay down his life for his brother. Donnie quoted a few moments ago. As he walked along seashores. That's a pretty easy sermon to preach. The son of man did not come to be served, but to serve. He shared with a couple of fellows around a dinner table. That's a pretty easy place to preach that sermon. I know Jesus talked, loved well, but when push comes to shove and he's on the way to the cross and he's hanging on the cross, when he has every reason to think of himself, what we see over and over again is he's thinking of others. He's thinking of others. Now he's thinking of you and you and me. I know it sounds a little CSI-like, but I want you to consider a sermon that's a little bit different than the one that's preached behind glass pulpits or walking along seashores or in temple courts. It's a sermon of the eye. 
The sermon of an ear and the sermon of a goodbye. First, the ear. In Luke chapter 22 and verse 50, Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane. He's praying. And what lies before him is so intense, the Bible says sweat drops of blood are coming from his forehead. Now, we know it's cold outside because later that evening, there's going to be mention of a fire and of people warming themselves by this fire. So we know it's not exterior temperature heat causing the blood to be pressured out of his temples and on the ground. It's interior heat. It's the stress of what he's about to face and endure that's causing this blood to ooze out for the moment. The Romans come to arrest him in the garden, and in the heat of the moment, Peter, doing his best to live up to some words he spoke a little bit earlier, remember them? I don't care if they all run away. I'm not leaving. Remember him saying those words? He's doing his best to live up, and when he pulls a sword and takes a swing at one of those Roman soldiers, he misses the head, but he gets the ear. We even know whose ear it is. Malchus's ear. And he puts it back on. He puts it back on. And one of them struck the servant of the high priest, cutting off his right ear. But Jesus answered, no more of this. And he touched the man's ear. And he healed him. When was the last time you were really busy? I mean consumed with some kind of a task at hand and all of a sudden your daughter's got to have her shoes tied or the wife needs a light bulb changed right now or the husband needs for you to help him find his car key so we can get to work. That Jesus would care what happened to an ear. If he would have left it lying in the dirt, would you have thought less of him? No. But like Malchus was some kind of potato head, he puts it right back on. He puts it on. I don't know what this says about Malchus, but I can tell you what it says about the one who's putting it back on. It's not about me. That's a line that I put at the top of my journal about every ten pages. Because I'm a Christian. I'm a follower of Jesus. It's a title of one of Max Lucado's books. I've read the book probably cover to cover. I couldn't tell you what one of the chapters is about at the moment. Didn't even look this week. But I like the title. The title's helpful to me. If there is one truth you see in Jesus lived out day after day as you walk with him through the Gospels, but especially as he walks in these last hours before he breathes his last if there was an epitaph that you'd want to put over his headstone if he needed a headstone, it'd be this one. It's not about me. Now that's an easy sermon to preach behind glass pulpits and walking, walking along seashores and in temple courts. Not so easy to preach when you're being arrested and being attacked. That's a different sermon. That's the sermon of the ear. How about the sermon of the eye? It's Luke chapter 22 and verse 61. We're back at the fire that I spoke of earlier. We know this fire is associated with loss of nerve. We know this fire is associated with lack of courage. 
Because we know at this fire, Peter is about to deny himself three times. But please, realize he's at the fire. Outside the high priest's home. He's trying to do what he promised Jesus he would do. I don't care if they all run away. I'm going to be there for you. And he's as close as he possibly can get. But like an ice cube placed in the fire, he melts. And I don't know why. I don't know if it's because of what he can hear coming from that open window. The accusations, the the smacking around, the spitting upon our Lord. I don't know what's causing him to lose his resolve, but he loses it. A girl recognizes him, or at least she thinks he does. Weren't you one of his disciples? No, no, you've got me confused with somebody else. Does it a second time? He does it a third time. And a rooster crows. And the Lord turns and looks straight at Peter. And Peter remembered the word the Lord had spoken to him. Before the rooster crows today, you will disown me three times. Unbelievable to me. With all that's going on in a room where someone is falsely accusing me, smacking me around, spitting in my face, humiliating me as much as they can, men humiliating another man in a room where nobody can get to them and fix it. And he stops to make eye contact. Jesus stops in the midst of that and through an open window makes eye contact with Peter. Who is this man? Who is this man? Like a billiard player calling a shot, he said, I promise you, Peter, I appreciate the sentiments, but you're not going to be able to hang on to your courage, not even for 24 hours. Three times tonight you'll deny me. And when he looks at him, he's been praying for him. He said as much. I'm praying that if Satan sifts you tonight, that, that you won't lose faith. He's been praying for him. And he takes time to look at him. Under incredible circumstances. And I don't think, I, I know it's a little liberty with the text, but when he looks at him, I don't think he's, it's disgust. I think it's, it's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. Because the rest of his life says, that's how he lived. It's not about me. And that's easy to preach behind glass pulpits and walking along seashores and in temple courts. But that's a tough sermon to preach when you're getting smacked around and spit in your face and lied about publicly. That's the sermon of the eye. The sermon of the year is similar and so is the sermon with the last goodbye. In John chapter 19 and verse 27. They've beaten Jesus nearly to death. They've suspended him on a cross. What they couldn't do with a whip, they're trying to do with an executioner's tool. And while he's there, of all things, <laughs> he takes care of some family business. He pulls himself up on the cross as you had to do if you were going to speak. Takes a deep breath. And he says to John, you're going to be taking care of mom now. And from that time on, this disciple took her into his home. (laughs) 
This is more than just something the Lord forgot to do in the check off of his to do list. He couldn't say much at his coming to his mother. But he could say much at his leaving. Mom, I've made sure you're going to be taken care of too. John, will you, will you take care of her? He's killing me here. In a moment when we would have afforded him any ounce of self-pity, any, any little moment when he would think of himself, he's thinking of other people. He's thinking of you because he pulls himself up one more time and he says, for all of us, Lord, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. They don't know what they're doing. If there was any time in his life that we would say, all right, help yourself to some of you, okay? He can't because it's not about him. It's not. His father needed him to do it, and so he's there. You needed him to do it, so he's there. Giving everything. Doing the best that he can to say, I love you this much. I love you this much. And that's why it staggers me sometimes. When Christian folks, other Christians like me, Jesus' people, not those who haven't heard the story yet, not those who haven't sung of the story and partaken of the Lord's Supper about the story, but Christians, followers of Jesus, it blows me away when we say, I wonder if He cares about me. Really? Could He give me a sign? little insight into me. When I hear that, I think of Steve Martin. Remember Steve Martin? Great comedian. Kind of a fair actor, you know. But when I was in high school, he was the, the comedian we were all mimicking and re rehearsing all of his lines that he said. He was a wild and crazy guy. <laughs> I remember one of his um, infamous movies, The Man with Two Brains. In it... Steve Martin is wanting to know if he could marry another woman. His wife is deceased, and he's in love now, but he wants to check with his deceased wife, and so he goes before her painting in their house, and he's going to ask her, and he does. He says, honey, I, I'm in love, but I want to know if I can have your blessing. Is it okay if I marry this woman? And as soon as he finishes those words, instantaneously, all of a sudden, the ground starts shaking. And the, and the cracks start coming in the wall and the, and the picture just starts spinning. And you hear this low, mournful voice, No! And then it all gets quiet. And Steve says, Any sign will do. Any sign. That's what I think of. Sometimes, when I hear a brother or sister and say, I wonder if he really cares. Here's your sign. Here's your sign. It's not the boldest thing on the page because it's not about the cross's size. It's its significance. It is easy to preach love behind glass pulpits and walking along seashores, and in tabernacles. It is hard to live love. 
It's hard. In marriages, being a kid, at school, in jobs, it's hard to live it. But I'm praying this morning that going before the sign one more time, walking to the foot of the cross, especially in this season of the cross, that one more time you're reminded you are so loved. Yes, you matter. And I hope you're blessed by that. Hope you're not just stunned by it. Or you think that that's pretty neat. But you embrace it. And you welcome it. And you go, I am that loved. But I also hope you'll go be a blessing with it this week. You see, as you leave this building, you're going to see some other signs. As you exit on your journey home, a sign's going to tell you where you need to stop. Some signs are going to tell you how fast you need to be traveling in this corridor. Some signs are going to say, warning, dangerous, curve here. I hope you see this sign from God this morning. And it changes you. It doesn't leave you the same. It's one thing to hear a sermon about the cross and the love that we witness there. But to get on one yourself. Now, that's another sermon. It's a different kind of sermon. Father in heaven, we pray you help us live it. Your son did. He talked a lot about giving ourselves away. To set aside our needs, our wants, our desires, our agenda for what other people need for the moment. But more particularly, what you need for the moment. Thank you. Thank you for the courage. Thank you for the tenacity. Thank you for the graciousness and the mercy that you displayed in loving all the way. You left nothing in the bag. Thank you so much. And Father, we want to thank you with our lives. Forgive us. For the selfishness probably every single one of us has mastered in this week. Forgive us for thinking about ourselves. Forgive us for our agenda. When it's so self-centered and we do make it all about me. We've come this morning because we're just confessing we need this every week. We need to be reminded of how loved we are so that we can not feel so condemned. Not feel so worthless. Because, God, we know Satan's good at that. He is the liar. He is the condemner. And he just fills our heads constantly with what we, what we don't measure up to. How we don't matter. And so we have come like sponges this morning, needed to hear again that we do. So thanks for the reminder. Father, if you brought some people here this morning who've never trusted Jesus Christ with their life, never accepted the benefit of the cross, the deal that you offer there to trade us our sin for your righteousness. God, I, I pray that this sermon is more than just something that they, they listen to. It's something that they receive and live to. Help us, Father. Help those of us who are Christians, who are Jesus followers, to take the, our own crosses today as we walk out of here. And so that some way, somehow, we'll be a living sermon. Not just one on CD. Not just one heard on a microphone but a living sermon. In Jesus' precious name, amen. Let's stand.
Let's 